time to get the story behind the story. Interviews with newsmakers, newsbreakers, and your phone calls. Radio Vermont presents The Mark Johnson Show. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. Nice Monday out there. We got a uh, warm weather forecast for the week. Thanks for spending part of your morning with us. Coming up on the program this morning, just actually heard an ad there for our uh, friends at the Skinner Barn opening up another big season. We'll uh, be joined by Peter Boynton and also Nick Corley coming up in hour number two this morning. In uh, just a moment here, we're going to kick off our uh, week here, have a discussion with the Chittenden County State's Attorney, T.J. Donovan, who's also now announced that he is running for Attorney General. And, of course, we welcome your phone calls on the program. Hope you had a fabulous weekend. How could you not? A little bit of rain out there, but otherwise it was really just a gorgeous, another one of those gorgeous Vermont summer weekends. You can join us on the program. Here are the phone numbers, 244-1777. That's our local number in central Vermont. And you can also reach us on our toll-free lines at 877-291-8255. A couple of quick programming notes for you coming up later on this week. On Thursday, we're going to be joined by the former uh, Supreme Court uh, uh, Justice Jeff Amistoy, who uh, was instrumental in the decision that led to the uh, opening up of civil unions here in Vermont and then ultimately uh, that leading the way towards gay marriage. So he'll be joining us coming up on Thursday. He has a new book out and will be making an appearance on, on uh, uh, Saturday uh, at uh, Birdside Books, right down the road here in Waterbury. All right, we go to the phone. Let's give a nice one radio from out. Welcome this morning to T.J. Donovan. He's the Chittenden County State's Attorney and also now has uh, announced that he's running for Attorney General. Um, did that while I was away on vacation. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We timed it perfectly. I knew you were out on vacation, and that's why I announced. Yeah, so <laughs> why so early here in this race? Well, you know, I think... The governor's announcement uh, not to seek re-election, Governor Shumlin's announcement, really accelerated the process. And, you know, my name was, was thrown in the mix for a couple of other things. Of course, you had the speculation about Congressman Welch, and you had speculation from uh, a couple different folks uh, being potential gubernatorial candidates. And, you know, I ran... Uh, now three years ago, um, I don't think it's any big surprise, and I figured uh, why kind of play the game of, of politics. People know that I'm going to do it. Uh, might as well just get out in front and say I'm going to do it, and that's what, I, that's what I did. Why do you think you're a better candidate now than three years ago, or a stronger candidate? You know, Mark, I think it's like life. You know, maturity is a good thing, and uh, you learn a lot from um, losses, not only political losses, but life, losses in life, setbacks in life. Uh, and frankly, it gives you a perspective. I mean, I worked hard last time. Uh, we came up short. I was proud of the campaign that we ran. Uh, that said, um, I learned a lot from that, that, that loss, Mark, not only professionally, but personally as well. I hadn't really suffered um, a, a, a loss uh, that, that public, uh, that magnitude uh, before. And it was, it was humbling, uh, but at the same time, it, it really kind of gave me a unique perspective on, look, politics is important. Uh, I believe in it. I believe in public service. Um, that said, uh, you really have to want to do it for the right reasons. And I, I knew I did it for the right reasons. And I'll tell you why, Mark. After that campaign, and I was exhausted. Uh, but a lot of the issues we ran on um, were later enacted into law. In the, in the next legislative session. 
and it really kind of reinforced my belief um, that public service, running for office, really is uh, its an honor. It's a privilege, you know, and you can do a lot of good. You can help a lot of people, and if you're in it for the right reasons, if you can, if you can pay the cost, because there's going to be a there's going to be a price, certainly a personal uh, price exacted. Uh, it's not easy. Um, it's well worth it, and it really strengthened my resolve to to commit to this type of public service. Um, and I think it, it, I can tell you this, Mark. I'm much more calm this time around than I was last time, which which is a good thing. And I think, like anything in life, sometimes a setback, sometimes a loss, uh, gives you a unique perspective. It gives you a little bit more uh, maturity, which gives you better insight into life and what's important and, and what's not. Do you think you were actually really ready three years ago to be Attorney General when you look I back do. on it? Yeah, I do. I do. I think, I, I think part of the problem last time... Um, and I do, Mark, because I think a lot of the issues that we ran on uh, in 2012, as I said, were later enacted into law. A lot of the public policy discussions we've had uh, in this state, uh, I think we've been part of uh, the conversation in terms of starting the conversation. Um, I think last time, frankly, uh, and this went into my thinking this time, I started way too late. I announced in March of 2012 uh, last time, really five and a half months, six months before the primary, raised close to $200,000. Uh, on the personal side, uh, we were, my wife was expecting her second child, uh, who was just a gift, uh, but it was hard uh, because I put an enormous amount of pressure on myself to produce, to do well. Um, looking back at it, uh, probably not the brightest decision to run uh, while we were expecting our second child. Uh, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of sleep, Mark, and, you know, I, frankly, I wasn't home all that much. Uh, and so, there, you know, when you talk about the personal toll, uh, you can't just talk about the candidate. You have to talk about uh, the family, and I'm not sure that was the best personal decision in terms of our, our family. I mean, certainly we made it through, and um, but I, I probably could have been home a little bit uh, more. Uh, and I just, I probably just put a lot of, too much pressure to produce, and, Getting out late, I think that pressure mounted, and I mean we were working, you know, we were working 24/7. Mark, uh, we're obviously facing an, an incumbent. Uh, a lot of the establishment uh, was against me, uh, but again, it reinforced my belief that primaries are good things. If you keep them to the issues, you keep it above board, uh, you run on ideas. Uh, primaries are a very good thing, and again, um, I'm, I'm going for it. I'm going for it this time as well. When you say that what you talked about in the campaign got enacted into law, I can think of the expansion of the drug court. Is that what you're talking about or something else? Yeah, a couple of different things. You know, number one, um, the Good Samaritan law uh, relating to heroin overdoses that we ran. I brought that up during the campaign, and that was enacted into law. And basically what it says is, you know, when somebody um, is overdosing and Somebody, can, somebody will call 911 and not get arrested, not get prosecuted, because really the, the focus should be on protecting and saving people's lives. Part of that bill was also the expansion of naloxone, Mark, which is the drug that, revert, that reverses uh, heroin overdoses. In Chittenden County alone, I think since December 2013, we've had 250 reversals because of naloxone. You've and got that, to be kidding me. No, no, and let me, I get a credit. I got to credit uh, the Howard Center, the Safe Recovery, Tom Dalton and Grace Keller here in downtown Burlington that run it. 
um, they're amazing. I mean, they're literally saving people's lives. Now, here's the issue. Uh, we got to make sure that that funding is sustainable uh, for naloxone because the disappointing part, Mark, that's going on in, in terms of the heroin epidemic in this state is we haven't peaked yet. The numbers are actually worse right now. We have more overdose deaths in the first half of 15 than we did in the entirety of 2014. And so we have to continue to be vigilant on this issue. We have to make sure that we have uh, naloxone available for everybody. I think our first responders uh, should be carrying it. You know, the Vermont State Police carry it. I think it's a great thing. Um, and this isn't about a blame game. This is really about saving people's lives. That was something that I, that I was very proud about. You're talking about the drug courts and the rapid intervention community courts. That obviously has been signed into law uh, by Governor Shovlin. We also talked about transparency in government, and we passed a public records uh, law uh, because in the past regarding certain criminal investigations, the presumption uh, was that it was confidential and private. We, had, we adopted the federal standard, which, which presumes disclosure, and that's something I ran on. So a lot of these issues that we ran on became law, and when we talked about the larger public health, the philosophical uh, and cultural shift on how we view addiction, um, I'd like to think I was part of that conversation, that we started that conversation in this in this state. Uh, certainly the credit uh, goes to Governor Shumlin, uh, but this is something that we've been working on uh, for years, uh, talking about that addiction is a disease that should be treated as a health issue. Uh, one of the things that I'm continuing to work on that we need, not only to naloxone, it really is about harm reduction, Mark. You know, we're not going to arrest our way out of this problem. We need the medical community on board. We need medically assisted treatment and medication available in this community. Because here's what's happening. When I talk about those numbers and the overdose deaths up, a heroin not yet peaked going up, this is anecdotal, but this is my experience talking to folks in and out of this courthouse. Nobody wants to be addicted to heroin, but they can't get off. They can't get into the methadone clinic because of the waiting lines. They can't get a doctor. And so they're buying pills on the street, buprenorphine. Now that blocks your opiate receptors, which obviously um, stops the craving for the, for, the, for the drug, for heroin. And so when you talk to these folks and when they're trying to buy pills on the street, they call it medicine. And that's what it is. But the fact of the matter is we don't have enough doctors yet prescribing it in Chittenden County. We need the medical community on board. I really feel that the criminal uh, justice system, law enforcement in particular, has made the philosophical and cultural shift. We now view addiction as, as a disease, and we're looking to treat it, not to punish people. But we, in order to achieve that integrated system of care and accountability, we truly need the medical community on board. That's something that I'm going to be focused on as well. We're talking with T.J. Donovan. He's the Chittenden County State's Attorney and also a candidate for Attorney General. You can join us at 244-1777, toll-free 877-291-8255. So go back here. These 250 deaths that have been prevented by naloxone, oh, since the law went into effect? No, that was since December 2013. Um, so it was after, I believe, the law was in effect, uh, the legislative session would have been, you know, July 1, 2013. And I think when the availability, um, uh, when the drug was available, it was about December 2013. And this was, this is run out of Safe Recovery, which is a needle exchange program run by the Howard Center, uh, which is in downtown Burlington. And, you know, no questions asked. You go in, you can pick up a needle, um, you can get the 
equipment you need essentially to if you're going to use. But there's also these naloxone kits, Mark, that you go and you pick up. And this is self-reported back to the, to the safe recovery folks about the reversal. So this doesn't include how many lives have been saved um, up at the hospital or by first responders. My understanding, this is, this is, the, this is self-reported back to safe recovery. And when you think about it, it, when you really try to understand addiction, it really, again, is about that harm reduction model. We want to, and why I support needle exchange programs, Mark, why I support naloxone, is because when you have these conversations, sometimes um, these types of programs actually offer a portal into treatment. When truly people have hit rock bottom, uh, when they're not judged and punished, but when they can come at their own pace, at their own speed, uh, these types of programs oftentimes are uh, entry into into treatment. And so we have to continue to um, demystify the, the stigma of addiction. We have to understand this affects everybody. It transcends socio socioeconomic class. Uh, and we have to make sure that we have uh, you, you know what the, the equivalent is, Mark? It's like we're in a nicotine patch. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, let me ask you something. I know plenty of people that, that have a nicotine patch. Nobody, people want to get off cigarettes, but why are we treating these drugs different than somebody who is wearing a, a, a nicotine patch? It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you're reducing the craving for the drug. That's why we have to have buprenorphine available. That's why we need the docs. Uh, willing to prescribe. I understand the argument that the clientele is difficult, uh, but this is really about community. This is about the well-being of our state. And when we talk about integration, when we talk about an in integrated system, when we talk about addiction being a disease, we need the medical community on board. When you, when, is this 250 reported to the Howard, Howard Center? So is this just Chittenden County? Is it likely this number is a lot higher statewide? No, it's not. It's mostly Chittenden County, but I think the numbers statewide mirror um, um, are not nearly as close as Chittenden County. And so I've heard other people say different things that, you know, 250 is the number um, statewide, but those are the numbers from the safe recovery folks. Um, here in Chittenden County, and I think they're mostly Chittenden County uh, numbers. God, I, I'm just a little floored by that. I mean, that's basically a year and a half, 250 people that they did this recovery on. I mean, that's a lot of people potentially ODing. Oh, absolutely, and, and let me tell you, you know, you should talk with Grace Keller and Tom Dalton. Uh, I mean, they literally have applied naloxone to somebody who was overdosing right outside in front of their building. I mean, they, they've literally saved people's lives. Now, here's the issue. Uh, we gotta make sure that this funding is continued uh, for this type of program. Uh, it was federal money. It was a federal grant that's mm -hmm. now ending. They've reapplied. And so my hope is that um, they will be granted uh, another, um, uh, another grant in order to fund this program, but if it's not, uh, this is something that I think the state has to pay for. I don't think there's any question about it that we we have to step up uh, and we because uh, this literally is about saving people's lives. And this these are these are programs that need to be fully funded. In my opinion, they should be all over the state. Uh, we should be giving out. We should have needle exchanges across the state, and we should have naloxone distribution across the state. You know, Mark, I was disappointed um, a couple weeks ago. We had a meeting and. 
Barbara Smaglio, who I think is the Deputy Commissioner of Health, really did a, a nice job. Uh, she's been doing a great job in her, in her role, but um, she produced this opiate dashboard uh, showing trends and graphs. And the numbers, as I said, are going up. We haven't peaked. And it was, it really was a sobering uh, moment for me because you're saying to yourself, boy, all the work we've done for two years, and it doesn't seem like we've made an impact. And for me, it really led to a, a, a question in terms of, you know, do we have the right benchmarks? Uh, are we measuring, are our traditional measures the right measures in terms of defining success? How do we define success with this problem? Um, and this is something that I've worked uh, the last eight years in this job certainly has. Certainly if I'm elected attorney general, which the critical point about the attorney general, Mark, in this debate is it has statewide concurrent jurisdiction. It's something that's lacking, frankly, in this state right now, is we don't have a consistent, coordinated system. We're still run by counties, by state's attorneys. Um, I think we need to have more coordination. We need to have more consistency because the numbers, as I said, that they, that they haven't peaked, uh, says it's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. So we have to remain diligent. We have to remain committed. And we need leadership. You know, Governor Shumlin deciding not to uh, seek re-election. I think there's a real vacuum of leadership on this issue because he has been such a tremendous champion uh, on this issue uh, that I think it's a role the Attorney General can play and it's something I intend to do. When you said before the medical community's not really totally on board with this, yep. you mentioned this idea of it being a, dif a difficult clientele. Is is that the issue? Is that the only issue? What What's keeping the medical board, medical community yeah. from getting on board? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, as I understand it. Uh, it. Look, it is a difficult clientele. Let's be honest about it. You're talking about addicts. Uh, but there's also different types of services, counseling services, that I think they're mandated uh, to... Uh, 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 to have available to, uh, for these folks. Um, I'm not sure that it's a clientele that uh, you want in your waiting room, to be perfectly honest. And we, you know, when we talk about waiting lists at the, at the methadone clinics, you know, when you talk about this hub and spokes model, well, the hub is supposed to be the, the, the clinics, the methadone clinics. The spokes are supposed to be the doctors. And you come out of the clinic, you're stabilized, you get on uh, the, this, this, this medically assisted treatment, buprenorphine. Um, and my point is if we can bring more doctors on board, if we can in somehow incentivize the process, we can really eliminate that waiting list at the clinic uh, because I'm sure there's a lot of folks up there uh, who uh, can be transitioned out of the clinic to uh, the, back into the community, if you will, uh, with prescribing docs. But, you know, and we've had great conversations with the UVM Medical Center. I'm having another meeting uh, later this month uh, with them, and, and they, they've done a lot of good work, uh, and they're, they're getting people on board. Uh, but this is something that really we can't wait for. This is a crisis. Um, and, you know, I've known people who, who are on buprenorphine. Um, you wouldn't know uh, if you talked with them. Mm. Uh, they're able to work. Uh, they're able to maintain uh, a job. They're, they're able to be productive members of our society. Again, I equate it to that nicotine patch, yeah. uh, that it, that it uh, stems the, the, the craving for the drug. And when we think about this, 
as I said, you know, when I saw those numbers, I'm not, we're not going to eliminate drugs, Mark. We're not going to eliminate addiction. But if we really adopt a harm reduction uh, policy, and, you know, there is an argument, well, you're trading one drug for another drug. And I, and I understand that. But I don't know many folks who are on, who are on bubes breaking into people's houses, breaking into people's cars in order to buy drugs. I know people who are on that, who are on that medicine, and it, is, and it is medicine, who are working, who are getting up every day, trying the best they can to play by the rules, work hard, get ahead in life. You know, I knew this woman, Mark. She had, a, she had an opiate problem. Uh, she was able to get on buprenorphine. Uh, we were able to get her a job. And I got to tell you, that was over the course of a couple of years, but the transition to health that she made, she was she had a job, uh, her physical health improved, uh, her physical appearance improved, uh, her financial uh, stability improved, and at the same time, she was on buprenorphine, and she was slowly weaning herself off. And it just, and nobody knew it. Nobody knew it. I knew it. Uh, but my point is this. Uh, we got folks all around us every day who are struggling with addiction. Uh, and if we can give them something that helps them maintain their sobriety, helps them maintain uh, their stability, uh, allows them to work, allows them to be taxpaying members of our society, that's a win. Uh, and this is something that we should, that should be available, that we should not be allowing people walking the streets searching for this medicine because it is medicine. Because I mean, one of the other options is sixty housing her for sixty thousand a year. Hey, absolutely, and you know when you start breaking into people's homes, Mark, uh, the threat yeah. of jail is real, and yeah. we're we're still sending people to jail. We're never going to compromise the public safety, but again, it's creating that integrated system and really finding that balance. But you know, uh, again, my thinking has changed when you talk to these folks who say, "I don't want to be addicted to heroin, but I couldn't find." I couldn't get into the clinic. I couldn't get a doctor. I was buying pills on the street. And they, they, again, they call it medicine, you know? And I gotta tell you, that is, when you, when you listen to some of these stories, you know, Mark, there was a woman who we got called because she was passed out down in the store and she had been huffing, um, you know, taking an aerosol can. And, and she was passed out, she was found unconscious and she came into the court system for a retail theft charge. And as I say, uh, okay, what are we going to do? What is the criminal justice system to do? But in talking with her, you know, I said, well, why'd you do it? And she said to me, I didn't want to get sick. She couldn't get in the clinic. She couldn't get a doctor. She couldn't find pills that particular day on the street. Again, this is somebody who didn't want to get sick, who was sick, who was ill, ended up passed out in a restroom at a store uh, for huffing. For me, that crystallizes the problem that we're facing. Mm-hmm. Let me take one call, let you go here. Let's go to yep. Williston. Sam, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? All right. Thank you once again for your attention to these these problems that we have. Yep. Uh, these troubles won't go away uh, until it, it, it's what they call spin, you know, a 30-day deal, where it's called uh, spin, dry, and clean. They send them back out. But that does not work. Uh, does the Suboxone work? To a point, it does. It's people, places, and things that these uh, people have to deal with. 
uh, and and cleaning that up out of the society is going to be important. Uh, you know, the triggers that these guys have, and it, and it goes back to the meetings. You got to be going to the meetings. Uh, you, you've got you you've got to um, pay attention to your yourself on a daily basis. It, this is going to be with us, like you said, for a long, long time. And I spoke to you a while back, and I suggested that we went back, go after the people that gave them their first taste. And yeah. most of these cases for these kids are the Oxycontin. And yep. it, you know, the old saying, your first taste is free, and the rest of the day to me. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what happened, and uh, we, we need to have other people step up to the plate and uh, give up some of their profit to take care of some of the cure. Absolutely. You know, let me, Mark, let me just say this to Sam. I couldn't agree with him more in terms there, there is personal responsibility here, okay? I mean, you talk to folks who are in recovery, uh, sobriety is a hard thing, and you really have to work at it. You have to work your sobriety. Um, and so there is, there is personal responsibility here. But at the same time, it can't just be about personal responsibility when we have all these barriers to care, when we have no access for folks to get into um, uh, to see doctors, to see, to gain health care. And so it is a balance. It is about personal responsibility. It is, uh, at the same time, breaking down those barriers so we do have access to health care because it is a health care issue. Uh, and I agree with Sam. You know, we, and as Attorney General, I'm committed to this. Absolutely, we have to look at the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, uh, we, uh, I think we're going to rue the day that we don't, frankly, uh, because you talk to a lot of young people. Again, this is anecdotal, but you talk to folks, not many people are picking up a needle and putting it in their arm uh, or snorting heroin. They're starting with pills. And the question that we have to ask is, why, why are these types of pills so available? Why are they so readily accessible? Why did Purdue Pharma, the manufacturer of OxyContin, flood the market uh, in the 90s and early 2000s uh, with this drug? Why did it take them so long, Mark, to make a tamper-resistant uh, pill? Uh, where we had abuse across this nation, particularly uh, on, on the southeast, uh, up into the northeast, uh, for more than a decade. Mm-hmm. These are questions uh, that have to be asked, that should be asked, and Purdue farmers should be held accountable. Yes. Because you talk to a lot of folks, Mark, they started with pills. Right. So and then the market's been flooded with heroin. It's more potent. It's cheaper. It's more accessible. Uh, and when you're sick and you can't get the medicine, Guess what? The easiest thing you want to get is another uh, uh, batch of heroin, and that's what a lot of folks are doing. I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and says, I want to be a heroin, heroin addict today. And so they're caught, in a, they're caught in a spiral. They don't know how to get out. We have to break down the barriers to care and provide access to treatment to people. Yeah, they just want to get back to normal, you know, what they, what they consider to be normal. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, getting back to normal, that's a great point. It's like Sam said. That is not an easy process. That's not going to take a day or two. It's a lifetime. Recovery is a lifetime. And you talk to folks who struggle, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and, you know, as Sam said, it is people, places, and things. And you have to live your recovery. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that in order to get people stabilized and so they can take the personal responsibility and be safe and sober, we've got to make sure that we have access to care available. And right now, I don't think we do, uh, particularly in Shenandoah County. 
Somebody asked me this last week, and I didn't know the answer, and I thought you would. Where where does this fentanyl come from? You know, I don't know. Um, obviously, that's a big cause of concern uh, right now because that seems to be the driver with the recent overdose deaths. Uh, that fentanyl is mixed in with this with this heroin. Um, I don't know uh, where it, it, it comes from, uh, Mark. Certainly, you hear about fentanyl patches, uh, but again. Um, this is how dangerous and insidious this business is. You know, terrible story, of course, in Burlington a couple of weeks. Look back, two brothers, Mark, uh, as you know, uh, overdose and die. Yep. Uh, their, their parents find them on their, on their, on their, on their porch uh, in Burlington. And these guys were in their 30s, Mark. These weren't 17 and 18-year-old kids. Uh, these were grown men, I believe, in their, in their 30s. And, you know... This is, again, getting back to the numbers going up. When I was sitting in that meeting and why I was disappointed and taken aback, and perhaps I've been too much in the bubble on this, and you said, wow, how, 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 does, how does anybody in this state not know that we have a heroin epidemic? How, do we, how does anybody continue to use? But oftentimes this, this addiction is so severe, it's so great, they're not making a, a, a rational choice. And it's going to be up to policy leaders, elected officials in this state, to continue to push the rock up the hill, to do the hard work, because this is not a problem that's going away, as Sam said. And we have to continue uh, to be diligent, uh, to spread the word, to have uh, a system of care and accountability uh, that is accessible where we've break, broken down those barriers and people are given an opportunity to get sober, to be law-abiding folks, and to get that job. Because let me tell you, the best form of public safety is a good job, Mark. I, yeah. I, I've seen it with folks in my, in my, in my own uh, personal life and my professional life. A good job is, is amazing what it does for self-esteem. Yeah. What, it, what it does, and it, it affects the entire body. They get healthy. They're surrounded by healthy people. They're surrounded by positive folks. And we got to make sure, and this goes back, Mark, you know, a lot of the work we're doing in the criminal justice system, frankly, it's maintenance work. And so as attorney general, and I've done this as state's attorney, it isn't just about, as I talked about, access to care. It's about prenatal care. It's about going to the at-risk women who are pregnant in this state. It's about nurse-family partnerships, where instead of a DCF worker knocking on somebody's door, we have a nurse knocking on somebody's door, making sure that not only mom's healthy, but the baby's healthy, because, again, at zero to three, those years are the most important. So it's prenatal care. It's early education for kids. Again, understanding that the most critical, because you talk, Mark, and you know this, you talk to any folks who end up in the criminal justice system, any kids who are on PCF, and you kind of draw that line back to their early years, let me tell you, a lot of these kids came from difficult, difficult, difficult environments, a lot of abuse. And you know, one of the things I'm very interested in is this adverse childhood experiences, uh, where uh, mm -hmm. basically it says that you come out of these for lack of a better word, these, these, these dysfunctional homes. And the stress is so great, you know, before I was reading this, I always said, okay, well, you know, 
challenging environments are good. It builds perseverance and character and resilience. Right. It, some of it's good, Mark, when it's predictable. But when you don't know if, if you're getting fed that day or you don't know where you're sleeping or if dad's beating mom or um, some other guys in the house, it's, it actually becomes toxic. It actually becomes toxic. And as you go forward in life, this trauma that you suffer from an early age has tremendous impacts not only on your physical health, higher rates of addiction, higher rates of abuse. And this is incredibly uh, fascinating stuff, in my opinion. And it really says that the criminal justice system, uh, law enforcement, a lot of these folks, we really should be what's called trauma-informed, understanding the impact some of the experiences, as, as they're called, these adverse childhood experiences, have for the rest of these people's lives. Uh, and it's not excusing personal responsibility. It's not condoning. Again, it's acknowledging and understanding. So we make better informed decisions going forward that promote the public safety. Frankly, it's a lot more fiscally responsible and a lot more cost efficient. And at the end of the day, it's more humane and it's more fair. I know i got to let you go, but I'm fascinated by what you said a couple of minutes ago about this idea of using different measurements as a key yep. to success here. Because everybody looks at o overdoses as sort of the big measurement. I mean, it, it, I mean, you can't ignore that. But what else? I mean, what else can you look at as a way that's really an effective measurement? Well, you know, that's the question I've been asking myself and others for the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm not sure the arrest data um, is the accurate measurement either, Mark, to be perfectly honest with you, because when we measure overdoses, when, when we measure arrests, that says that we're still going from one crisis to the next, and we really need to step back and say, what does a safe and healthy community look like? Uh, do we even go further back and look at the number of kids that are in uh, early education? Do we look at uh, the number of at-risk pregnant women? That's really where we should be focused on, Mark. That's really where we should be focused on. You know, uh, they had this nurse family partnership up in the Northeast Kingdom and other parts of the state. And essentially, you go to these at risk um, pregnant women, and it's a two year program, uh, and it's about not only health of, of mom, but health of baby. Uh, again, starts uh, uh, with prenatal care. But long story short, um, and this was national data. With some of these nurse family partnerships, there was a 48% reduction in child abuse. Mm, wow. You know, this is something that should be available in the state. And one of the things, again, when you get to that critical position of attorney general, being that statewide uh, figure that has concurrent jurisdiction in the entire state, you know, we're a small state. You know, we know who the at-risk people are. Let's break down the silos. Let's start communicating. Let's start coordinating and really get to the folks who are at risk because it makes sense in terms, again, in terms of finances, a lot of duplication in the state market, as you know. We spend a lot of money on, on frankly, on a, on a few people. But really, let's get to these folks when they're at risk and let's provide services to them, to their children. It's going to help them. It's going to help our state, and it's going to be much more cost-effective. Thank you for your time this morning, as always. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. T.J. Donovan is the Chittenden County State's attorney, a Democratic candidate for attorney general as well, too. Our number's on the program, 244-17. Wow, isn't that sobering, huh? 244-1777 is our local number, toll-free, 877-291-8255. Quote, we haven't reached the peak yet in the heroin epidemic. Wow. 
Uh, I'll let you ponder that during the uh, break here. We'll take your calls. And coming up at about 10.15 this morning, we'll talk with the folks at the Skinner Barn. They have a new uh, play that will be starting coming up this week. We'll be back after this. Do you know what it's like to be pushed up against the guardrail by a vehicle traveling at 70 miles per hour? I do. I've been working on Vermont roads for nine years. I'm also a son, a brother, and an uncle. I could be your neighbor or your best friend. So please, watch out for me when you're driving through a work zone. Slow down, put away that cell phone.